boils and ghouls. It's time to gather round us, horrifying hunter, petrified Preston, and devilish Dan. Crack open another cursed volume of tales from the crypt. This is Horrors from the Vault. <laughs> Welcome, kitties, to Horrors from the Vault. My name is Horrifying Hunter, and I'll be one of the three shadowy figures leading you into the dark and haunted corridors of this very vault. Tonight, we're cracking open our seventh tome of season two with The Sacrifice, an episode all about the joys of owning macaws. But before we can venture fully into the vault, let me introduce you to my co-host, Petrified Preston. As a man, I do not know your stances on birds, especially birds as pets. I would like you to open up tonight's episode by giving me uh, your feelings on parrots and our feathered friends in general. Well, I will say cursing parrots are my favorite parrots. And um, I feel like this parrot that we're going to be talking about tonight has two very particular favorite terms. And um, I'll save those for when we get into things. But um, yes, horrifying hunter. Good to be here. Good to be talking about, um, you know, one of our favorite shows yet again, Tales from the Crypt, baby. Let's get into it. Amen. We'll dive into that. But someone who I know has strong feelings about birds Mm. is our friend Devilish Dan. Yeah, as a pagan-leaning Satanist, uh, we love going on nice long walks and checking out the birds. One day I will reach out my arms in a Creed Scott Stapp-like stance and one will land on them. (laughs) Hasn't happened yet, but uh, maybe eventually. A raven raven will bring you a a treat. I think I I could totally see Dan and his lovely lady wife owning a pet raven. So no no joke, there, there are some... Loud ass crows, a group of about three to five of them that live right outside our, our place. And we've tried, I've, I've tried, she doesn't care. I've tried to tempt them with a bunch of different seeds and pumpkins and whatnot to bring me some trinkets because legend has it if you feed crows, they will uh, bring you trinkets. But they, they, they right. haven't brought me anything yet. We also did get a raven this year, which I, do- I thought they were kind of the same thing, but apparently ravens have come back to Ohio. And there is a raven that lives somewhere around here because it fights with uh, blue jays uh, across the way. Um, and you can tell by the distinctive uh, like crackle of its voice. It's more of like a ah than a, a caw caw that the crows have. <laughs> do you Damn. do you having had firsthand experience with ravens at this point, do you totally understand why, you know, besides the alcoholism, why Edgar Allan Poe <laughs> uh, had the delusions that he did? A hundred percent, because man, you hear those things, it's a creepy sound. Like it's like it's not normal, especially you know if it's like early in the morning and it's it's real quiet out and you're working from home and all of a sudden you just like 
from across the way. It's it's uh, it can send a chill down your spine. And you being the freak that you are, I know you're into it. You're like, oh fuck mm-hmm. yeah, my day's off to a good start. I love them. They're huge too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're massive. Yeah. Incredibly beautiful animals, I might say. Uh, I do. They're, they're we, really the goth macaws, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. they do leave feathers around though, and I've gotten a couple uh, crow. I don't think I have a raven feather, but I think I have some crow feathers. It's a, tough to tell which which is which, but yeah. When you live near the national park, these are the things you find on the ground. I just want to say thanks to you guys for always being game with whatever the podcast intro is going to be this week. <laughs> I I never know because my notes literally end with th- uh, with the ellipses of let me introduce you to my co-host. So this is all on the spot. And I feel like Drew Carey on whose line is it anyways whenever <laughs> I'm, I'm introducing ours from the vault. So uh, glad we got some bird chat in tonight, fellas. It's beautiful. Beautiful. It's, it's fun because it keeps me on my toes and it gives me a, a chance to kind of improv. Yeah. I appreciate that we don't script this out. Yeah, for sure. Especially considering how much scripting the rest of the show requires. Mm -hmm. All right, we're kicking it over to season two, episode seven, aired on May 15th of 1990. The Sacrifice, which is, uh, you know, I, you know, when you are with me. Yeah. uh, Come on. My sacrifice, baby. Preston. Let's go visit you over at the House of Horror so we can talk about that sweet, sweet, and spooky comic inspiration. Let's do it. Shock Suspense Stories number 10, August of 1953. You know, not to get ahead of myself on this one, but I really feel like this story... um, you know, and I'm just talking about the comic. We'll, we'll get to the episode, obviously, shortly. But I feel like this story would have been much better suited in crime suspense stories rather than maybe shock suspense stories. I want to be honest. On the page, this one is this one's kind of boring. Um, the artwork feels very corporate and business-like, people in business suits throughout the entire thing. You know, at least in some of the other ones, we maybe got, you know, a zombie popping up at the end, something like this. No, no, this is just, you know, your suit and ties the whole way through. Um, A lot of internal monologue happening throughout this one. Uh, As always, right, there are some differences, uh, but it's essentially the bones of what you get in the episode, but Clearly, there's differences. I will say I do enjoy the twist in the comic. Um, I had watched the episode first, and so I knew what was coming, you know, fully. But I kind of wish maybe I would have done it the other way to see if the story itself would have had a little bit bigger of an effect on me, a bigger impact on me. Um, other than for completionism's sake, to be quite honest, I don't think there's any reason to go out of your way for this story. I hate to sound negative. I'm I'm normally the positive one, right? But um, we'll obviously chat about the episode, see if they can sort of liven it up a bit. But for me, this one on the pages is is just there. I do find it amusing that... I think we've really only recommended maybe three comics of Tales from the Crypt. We've covered 
what we've covered almost what 14 episodes 13 episodes so far um it's not the best track record and i i I think i'm bringing this up now because it feels like we've gotten in a little bit of a a stink where it's like hey you know this episode's fine but the episode's better go check that out and it's like i have a lot of respect for these comics and i do think there's something to be said for you know, we all grew up when we did several decades removed from when these oh, stories yeah. were truly shocking. And we can appreciate them for being the source material for the series we love so much. And honestly, just being a landmark thing when it comes to comic books and pop culture in general. Um, so whenever we're like, hey, you know, this issues, whatever, I think it is important for us to consider, you know, we've we've grew up with modern sensibilities and I feel like unfortunately it doesn't do a lot of these comics any favors. Well, and Dan, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this because Hunter actually brought up a point you made in our last episode. And and I think it's kind of an interesting one in that, you know, here lately we've gotten a lot of these like gold digger spouses turning on each other kind of stories. And, you know, you can do some interesting things with that, you know, on the screen and and certainly groundbreaking for its time. Don't get me wrong at all. But just on the page there, I feel like there's only so much you can do with some of these stories. And this is this is like a perfect example of that. So, yeah, taking taking nothing away from its 1953 roots, obviously. But when you read it now, you know, th- there's there's certainly better ones. Yeah, and there's it's tough because there there is a lot of shorthand you can do on the screen versus in the comics you're right. stuck reading these and especially like Hunter mentioned in the 1950s and 60s style they were very much illustrated novellas um you know very wordy not a lot of word balloons mostly you know exposition in boxes um but yeah, there's a lot more you can do on the screen to build tension or uh, say things without, you know, literally saying them by sh- just showing them with the format with, you know, something like the especially a 50s style. You're stuck with that very wordy thing that you have to dig through, even if you kind of already know where it's going. But as far as this issue itself, Dan, where are you sitting on it? Is it? I feel like we we're talking in generalities here, which is totally yeah. fine because I think we should talk about it. But the issue itself, where are you sitting? Uh, yeah, like Preston said, it's it's fine. Um, the one main difference I wanted to point out that uh, I thought was an interesting change for the show was the um, the third wheel. I guess we can call him the the guy that ends up seeing what happens from across mm-hmm. the street is the, the boss in the TV show, but he's just a Joe Schmo in the comic. And I thought yeah. that actually would have made a better twist in the show. If they, they kept it that way, um, making it the boss, you know, brought in someone a little, it's a little more Hitchcocky in the other way. It's like, Oh, this random guy just showed up out of nowhere and he knows our secret rather than, you know, in the TV version, it's, it's a known person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This established guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's literally in my notes right here, so you've covered it. But yeah, it, it's so tough when we can have that that discussion about, oh, you know, these do deserve their recognition, and then we can be like, well, comics, whatever, it doesn't matter, we're going to talk about the episode anyways, like, that's kind of how we close up. But uh, yeah, I, I, I did want to put that out there, because I do think it's important for us to take some time from time to time and be like, uh, not that I, you know, hopefully some of these dudes are still alive, enjoying nice long lives, but 
a lot of them are dead, so I guess it doesn't really matter how well, we feel about their work, right? <laughs> and I'll also I'll also add, like, there's a reason that all these stories were adapted. I mean, that in and of itself, like, I mean, th- these were these were huge pieces of work, and yeah, we we definitely don't want that to go unnoticed. But just on a sometimes on an individual basis, you know, they they can be hit or miss. That being said, it's been a while since it was mentioned, but there is an excellent special feature on the season one DVD all about the history of EC Comics and why it's so important. So uh, if you haven't checked that out already, I would definitely suggest that. 100%. And you can also find if you just uh, type in the name of that documentary, it has been uploaded to YouTube by several people. So it's very just like everything Tales from the Crypt. It's very easy to find. (laughs) Dan, we're not quite done with you. Let me shake you around like a dog because uh, we got to talk about top billing, the creative team involved. Yeah, let's start with the writer, Ross Thomas. He is responsible for a bunch of stuff that I've honestly never heard of, such as Bound by Honor. It's a true story based on some sort of poet or something. Uh, Hammett not Hamlet, uh, also based on some sort of true story of writer uh, Dashiell Hammett, which I actually might end up checking out because it sounded interesting when I was reading up on it, and Bad Company. It's uh, some such about Lawrence Fishburne playing a CIA agent. Honestly, never heard any of that stuff, but I might check out Hammett. Director Richard Greenberg, uh, only three directing credits, most notably Little Monsters starring Fred Savage and Howie Mandel, uh, but he mostly was a crew member and oddly enough, a title designer. He designed titles for things such as Death Becomes Her, which we've discussed before, Hudson Hawk and Flash Gordon. As far as stars go, uh, right up top, we got Kim Delaney as Gloria Fielding. She's a huge TV actress. Uh, 137 episodes of NYPD Blue as Detective Diane Russell. 104 episodes of Army Wives. That show sounds awful. I can't imagine how that show plays. Uh, As Claudia Holden. Uh, as James, we have Kevin Kilner. Uh, there's a lot of TV people this this week, so bear with me. Uh, 24 episodes of Earth, Final Conflict. Uh, also 25 episodes of Almost Perfect. And he was Austin's dad in A Cinderella Story. A uh, little more notable name, Michael Iron- Ironside as Jerry. Uh, appropriately enough, this thick boy was a noted arm wrestler in his teens. So that's interesting. <laughs> When he wasn't wrestling arms, he uh, played Jean in Starship Troopers, Ricker in Total Recall, Jester in Top Gun, Daryl in Scanners, Bill in Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, which needs to be put out on Blu-ray. I know it's you're going to be stuck in 4-3 aspect ratio, but God damn it, I want to own it. Uh, he also voiced Darkseed in DC animated joints since the 90s. He's also, interesting enough, the voice of Sam Fisher in the Splinter Cell video game series, so kids have seen heard him even if they haven't seen him before yeah he's the man yeah got uh two more quick ones don hood is sebastian he was o'brien in the richard Pryor classic the toy and he played the sheriff in the famously horny covered 90 schlock bad girls Wanga. Uh, finally deborah packer she was the voice of the parrot and she did voices for babe pig in the city that's what i got you did forget something important, and that is uh, Kevin Kilner is probably best known to people in my generation as the dad from the 1999 uh, DCOM Smart House. 
<laughs> oh my god. How could I ever forget the uh the choreographed dance sequence in uh exactly. in Smart House? What, what a I'm beautiful saying. moment in cinema history. If you I'm got old a, and have no idea what Smart House is. If you got a 50s mom fetish, like Smart House is where you want to be. So it's about this this house that's smart, right, Dan? Uh-huh. And uh it's possessed by this uh AI who's like a 50s housewife uh who who's his mother. And, is it played uh, by Katie Siegel? No. Uh, actually, yes. Yes, yes, yes yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Listen. Ha- Peggy Bundy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hashtag the house is jumping. All right. That's it. That's right. Fuck Michael this, Ironside. I want to talk about Kevin Kilner and Smart House. I want to talk about the Smart House poster because it's fucking terrible. <laughs> Holy oh, shit. Man. We'll review it. If you guys leave us a hundred Tales from the Cli- uh, Crypt. <laughs> Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> if, <guys> <laughs> if you guys leave us a hundred Tales from the Clip reviews. Uh, <laughs> a few episodes ago, right there. Yeah, right, 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 right. Well, I don't know. Maybe in this one. Valid. You ever eat it from the back in your boathouse? Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> we'll, t- <laughs> we'll talk about it in a couple minutes. Anyways, where were we? I don't like eating things from the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh god in this house we believe in american traditional value if god wanted me to eat that he would have put it in a mug root beer can <laughs> before we can get into the episode of course we've got to talk about the crypt keeper segment Cooking Crypty. He's doing his best Emerald impression. I love him in his little gear, his oh funny little God. hat. I like that there's a weird joke about the, the goat being pregnant, which you can hardly tell due to his poor lighting in his little <laughs> cave den down there. But it is funny. It's amusing. And uh, anytime, I mean, Dan, I think you said it best a couple episodes ago. Anytime you want to put him in a funny little outfit, I'm there. I'm in. Is that goat pregnant? Yes, that's where he's like, oh, we need a virgin goat. And the goat is pregnant. So he's like, oh, you survived this time, Nelly. But just because it had sex doesn't mean it's pregnant. But he that's needs not- a virgin goat for the recipe. <laughs> is that how he knows it's not a virgin? Because it's I mean, pregnant? That's generally how a lot of people can tell, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought he fucked the goat, is what I thought. Oh, my God. God, Dan. Daniel, does it have a little goat belly, like a little baby bump? It's got a little. You it's got a little bastard. Mm, I think you're. I think you're putting things on that goat that don't exist. I'm telling you, that's a pregnant goat. Right. Bump up the brightness on your TV right now. That's Turn right, it up, and you can see that that goat's a little round. That belly. 480 ass scan you're trying to watch. Come on, you <laughs> you pull right. that up. Kick it up. I'm a, I got a DVD. Come on, plug that in with an HDMI. Come on. I, you're not actually at waiting for me to do this, are you? Because it's no, literally no, the other, no, okay. no. <laughs> It's across the house. I but don't yeah. have to kick my wife off the TV. She'd be angry. No. <laughs> All right. Television terror. Let's talk about the episode itself. Oh. 
Dear listeners, have you ever instantly fallen in love with someone? Maybe it was via social media. Maybe in the McDonald's drive through line when you locked eyes with a cashier. Maybe you were both working in retail in a mall back in the early 2000s. Or possibly... You just happen to lock eyes in an elevator when you're on the way to sell a hot piece of property. That's what happens to James when he meets Gloria for the first time. He makes it up to Sebastian Fielding's penthouse, who believes in two things, money and pussy. His motto is so far reaching in the L.A. area, the bullshit and pussy capital of the world, that even his parents believe in his message. Money and pussy. I like that. You know, they make the little birds say it. Uh, get your crow friend on that, Dan. Sebastian and James established that they've met through his boss, Jasper. And you know what? If he's going to make this insurance sale, he needs a 30% commission. Gloria comes back and says how much she hates Jasper. But you, despite this, the deal is closed. I love this line here, Dan. I don't know about your quote of the week, but uh, which is why I live here and you live in Marina del Yuck. Yep, oh, that was God. my Is it? Okay. Yuck. <laughs> it's just a really oh. fun delivery of a goofy line. It totally makes it. <laughs> By the really? way, uh, the one okay. foreshadowing thing I like they, they threw in here is uh, in their initial conversation, he mentions that he doesn't like nosy neighbors, which comes back and bites the other people later in the episode. This episode does a lot of things where it sets up kind of lines that are sort of addressed later on but aren't quite followed through on um i feel like the big notable one is of course the parrots you figure that that's kind of a tried and true thing i mean i'm thinking all the way back to the lady killers right like 1950s with alec yeah. and everything like that you know parrots have a history of being involved in you know <laughs> accusing people of their crimes so mm-hmm. the fact that you know it's one of those things that never comes back through i thought was kind of surprising but overall, I mean, really milk toast introduction. Like, there's really nothing that happens here that is very interesting. And I don't want to talk about that just yet, but that might be a problem we, we talk about a couple times in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of, sorry, there's a lot of exposition going on, just a very much like, hi, I'm here to sell you insurance. Oh, I know your boss, and here's how I know your boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, a lot of that. And I think Sebastian is a fine, entertaining character. He like he's not really performed in a way where it's like, "Ooh, I am captivated by you," and I I buy completely everything that you're selling. But he's he's entertaining enough. And I think the problem is just our main character. He's really got nothing to him. He's just stone face, not slack jawed. He's got a nice jaw, but you know, there's not much to James whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally just just kind of a generic character. And this is a guy you've seen in a lot of in a lot of stuff, particularly television. But um, yeah, there's not not too much uh, character to his character. Yeah. And I I think like he's obviously not a terrible actor. He's fine. Um, I don't think any of the performances here are, are really bad, but the problem is that there's really only one good performance in this entire episode, um, that when they are not the focal point, this episode does drag, unfortunately. I was going to ask, uh, and we're about to get there, if that character was his tongue licking her back, but yeah, all in due time. Gloria comes down to visit James in his boathouse and promptly kicks her gold digging slut mission into high gear by immediately getting down to business in boner boats. 
<laughs> I had to spruce it up. Immediately getting down to business in Boner Boat City, which was an alternate title for Waterworld a couple years later. <laughs> Boner Boat <laughs> City. <laughs> Poor Kevin Costner. Did you really have to drag him into this? Apparently the temptation of money and the already acquired pussy is too strong because James is already plotting on how to murder Sebastian. He tells Gloria that she's all he's ever wanted, which is obviously the after-sex endorphins talking. They go back to the penthouse underneath the guise of signing some paperwork and then promptly reenact the beginning of Alan Moore's Watchmen by shoving a fat man mm-hmm. off a balcony. No smiley face pen, though. You think James ate her ass? Yes. <laughs> God. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yes. God. There's a lot of licking from the back. And Dude. Like, oh. There, this is so a very was... like it's this once again. We watch these episodes on average about three times in preparation for this episode, uh, for for recording one of these episodes. And um, this was always a sex scene that I never got used to. Like this was always like a oh they're doing this. I guess it's HBO, and they were reminded that you know they can do this, so they just went all in on this weird daylight sex scene, um, which is very prominent. Dad from Smart House licking some ass. <laughs> it's a it's a very 90s sex scene uh, where, you know, it's you don't get yeah. to see a whole lot, but what is there is implied to be, like, highly kinky, I guess, with him, you know, licking every inch of her body. Oh, God. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of gross, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. I enjoyed a good licking, but man, that uh, <laughs> it was shot not in the best way. Can can we add that to the episode bonus features? Just a clip of you saying, "I enjoy a good licking," but that yeah. shot, man. <laughs> <laughs> After Sebastian's fat ass dribbles on the sidewalk, the cops arrive to question Gloria, and they accept that this was simply a death by misadventure. The newly happy couple celebrates their victory with another canoodle sesh, but not before there's a knock at the door where the guy with the big veiny head from Scanners shows up. He slowly reveals that he's been obsessed with Gloria and started doing his best Jimmy Stewart and rear window impression by taking photos with a long-range camera. Blackmailed and cock-blocked, James spends the next three months in agony knowing his dream girl is out getting cucked and is pretty much forever gone. <laughs> this is by far i mean ironside runs circles around everybody else the rest of this episode when we watched it for the first time i was like oh you know it's kind of whatever and then he showed up and i'm like man okay things are kicking in a little bit like we're getting somewhere this is interesting i'm excited to see where this goes and this is pretty much his one afternoon on set and he he sort of disappears for the rest of the episode, minus their little getaway at the very end. And it never recovers. This is the big highlight. And there's not even a satisfactory conclusion that the episode lands on. So you kind of watch for this and you're like, oh, that Ironside, man, he's he's got a good career ahead of him. And then and then that's it. That's kind of all there is for you to take away from this one. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Rear Window, too, because this is very much a stupid version of Rear Window, like a reverse <laughs> version, um, which sounds like it might be actually kind of interesting seeing it from like the killer's point of view. And, you know, oh, he's got to figure out what that guy's doing over there. But no, does it doesn't quite work that, that way. That's a really good point. Yeah, I, I agree <laughs> fully with that. 
Yeah, it's just, this episode is so just a bunch of talking, which is fine. I'm good with a a nice, like, building episode where it's a bunch of talking before the action happens. But then once everything comes to a head, nothing really interesting. There's no great payoff. And I feel like the twist, which we're about to talk about in just a moment when we return to uh, Boner Boat City, um, even that's kind of unsatisfying and vague, and it just... Uh, it it just never comes together and, and it's not even I don't even think it's a poorly made episode like all the pieces are there I just think the story is very underwhelming it, the twist is even a little confusing and to what the actual twist is when you try to yeah. like lay, lay out the the timeline of events in your head like okay so who knew what at what point like they, they mm-hmm. try to get too cute with it and it I don't it just got confusing James is found dying on his boner boat the next day. He's overdosed on 42 pills. He's left a note absolving Gloria of any wrongdoing, but surprisingly, to the audience anyway, she burns it and celebrates her new lifestyle with Jasper, who was her man all along. She just wanted to be with Michael Ironside. Dun, dun, dun. Hey, who wouldn't, you know? I mean, with that voice, he could tell you whatever. He's like, yeah, I'll look it from the back. Uh, we, we drink muck. God damn it. I almost spit beer everywhere, Hunter. Jesus. Um, in this episode, like, it really just kind of falls apart at the end. Not that there's, you know, really this great setup or anything like that. It just feels like there. It, it's constantly building to something that never happens. And it just... I feel like the suicide is supposed to be this like shocking thing where he's like he's doing his hero sacrifice obviously my sacrifice sacrifice. but it just none of this comes together and I think it's just a very confused episode that needed a little bit more time and maybe more capable like uh, just a better written story to to flesh it all together it's i don't know i just this felt like i don't know this felt like the most generic like fast food meal that you could Mm -hmm. ask for where it's like not even really good it's just kind of like you wanted it so you went and got it and then you had it and you're like that was kind of cold and it wasn't gross but it just wasn't necessarily good and you're unsatisfied and that that's the general feeling I get from this one. I left very unsatisfied with each viewing, and I was hoping that I could determine one way or the other. Like I really wanted to say, hey, if I didn't like this, what is the big issue? And I, I've named my problems, but even then, I don't think they're like massive problems. There's just not enough happening here where I really have strong feelings either way. So it's just kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. This is the most whatever episode we've watched of Tales from the Crypt so far, in my opinion. So here's my question about the the ending, like the big twist at the end. So Ironsides is like, and now no one will know that there was a murder. And my question is, why does that matter? Because the cops have stopped looking to see if there was a murder <laughs> already. Like they had already written it off like immediately. Um, you don't need to not have a murder because he didn't sign the paper. So it's not like they are collecting the money from the insurance scheme that they're pulling but not actually pulling and they're still getting the money from him dying i just i don't know why that's important to point out yeah 
Do either of you have any insight that you can give me? Well, I completely agree, first of all, and that kind of leads into my point pretty well, is I was waiting on another twist. Like, I, I mm-hmm. thought, surely there is something more to this story. You know, they get in the car, they're, quote-unquote, successful. And and like Hunter said, I mean, that's where that's where we wrap up. And well, I, the- I just... I just thought surely there has to be something else here, and there, there was not. The, the other twist is that the, the parrot knows that there's there was a murder, but if no one's really looking, yeah, well, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't lead anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I I really don't have anything else to say. Like, <laughs> there's, I guess, like I'm glad we got to watch it in context of the show, and I'm glad that there's a performance that I thought was good, sure. but. Besides that, I really don't. I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of just gobsmacked. I don't really have anything to add, unfortunately, about the sacrifice. And this yeah. is where, you know, we very rarely talk our feelings on the episodes. Like maybe we'll give each other like a little hint um, before we go to record. But I texted you guys last night, and I was just like, that was definitely an episode of Tales from the Crypt that I just watched, <laughs> and that's exactly how I feel right now. Yeah, it's un- unfortunate that I feel like the comic and the adaptation had a lot in common as far as that goes with this particular story, in my opinion. Yeah, at least we yeah. got the line about Marina Del Yuck, which is great. <laughs> I also wanted to point out when she was talking about what uh, he made her go do, and they went to a supermarket and he hired filthy, dirty street people to watch them have sex. Yes. Obviously, that was probably made up, but that means it comes from a deranged mind because that <laughs> is some fucked up shit to, to come the up with. Hell. But she's obviously into it. So, but she's not. Is what it is. I mean, she, if she wants to be with Jasper, she's obviously into it. Yeah, but I don't think they actually did that. I think she's like, I need to come up with something to to make it sound like this is the worst thing and I can't take it anymore. Like, I don't think they actually <laughs> hired street people to uh, to watch them fuck. Do you think do you think like this is the dark side of Mr. Beast? <laughs> like, do you think he's out there? <laughs> I guarantee Mr. Beast is hiring street people to do everything. His house is full of street people that are doing labor for minimal wage. It wasn't until the second watch through that I noticed she said street people, by the way. I, you know, just automatically replaced it with homeless. And I'm like, yeah, street people. Nice. Mm. Street Street employees would have been better. Street Street employees. employees. Buskers. But you guys know what's not boring or underwhelming? This closing Crypt Keeper segment, because the hanging gag, this is probably one of my favorite Crypt Keeper moments so far. Um, so this is suicide <laughs> before. <laughs> it's it's infinitely amusing, and I just appreciate the sharp right turn from him preparing dinner, which now that we've covered the episode does nothing in context of the episode. Like it doesn't relate whatsoever to the suicide one, which does kind of tie in. Um, it's just amusing watching his little feet, his little Yo- dirty little Yoda man Dang hang one. himself using the stool. Uh, it's amusing. I like it. I did really like the, so this is suicide and just like, meh, that's, it was all right. <laughs> all right, fellas. Well, let's pay our last respects. I feel like we, we kind of talked about it a little bit. I'll just go ahead and go. Um, this one's tough because 
I think that it's arguably better than last week's episode just because it's it's better made. There's nothing in this where I felt that it was shortchanged or and it definitely wasn't choppy like last week's episode. But I also didn't think it was particularly memorable or very good. So I'd probably give it the same grade that I would on Letterboxd. I ended up with uh, two and a half thumbs just right in the middle. Preston? Man, same page, brother. Yeah, I am going to go two and a half severed thumbs out of five. Um, again, it's an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Um, not the worst, not necessarily good, but um, yeah, we've discussed our flaws with it. I uh, I feel comfortable with that rating. I'm going much lower. Uh, I'm going to copy what I did last week with a 1.5, and here's my reason. Mm. Yes, it is a better made structurally episode, um, but it does not have quite the performance and it does not also have a good zombie gag. Um, Mm. There's not much uh, flashy about it. It's very bland and banal. So 1.5. You know what? You might have talked me down 0.5, right? I'm being honest. Yeah, I think... Just because it's average doesn't mean it has to be in the middle of the thing. I'm bumping this down to two. I think yeah. I think you've convinced me to knock it back a little bit. Nice. Yeah, that's totally fair. Preston, you sticking? I I mean, shit. I I mean, don't feel is pressured. It, is it stick? is it a bad? No, honestly, I'm I'm comfortable with a two. I'm certainly not arguing it, but you know, not to hop on the bandwagon, but sure, why not? My sacrifice. Sacrifice day. Half a thumb. (laughs) This is probably... I knew this episode was in trouble when we're talking about the plot, and it's the most quiet Dan has been for any of the episode recordings. I tried tried so hard. And shit, me too. There's nothing even like to joke about in this. It's just... We like tore through that synopsis in maybe 12 minutes, and I was like, well, shit. And then we talked about the parrots. (laughs) You know, like... What is there to yeah. talk about? Not much. Yeah. yeah, like even the bad episodes have given us, you know, some some stuff to 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 rag on and 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 you know dig at. But man, this one is just like here's some things we put on the screen. Man, go for shout, it. Shout out to Three's a Crowd. That's I'm just gonna leave it at that. I you know what I love Three's a Crowd. Oh God, I love it. This episode, you're the one it- fucking my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, this episode even made me... You guys liked that episode. I was thinking of one we all didn't like. This one made me miss the wacky, zany badness. Of That's what only, I'm talking about. Skin deep. <laughs> it was, yeah. Oh, my God. The over-the-top performances of, of Three's a Crowd, the, the the badness of Only Skin Deep, but it's it's almost worse when it's like a fine episode and not a great or bad, you know? Yeah. No, totally agreed. All right, guys, let's go ahead and give our closing information and we'll get out of here. Thank you again for listening to Horrors from the Vault. If this episode was a downer, we're sorry, but don't worry because coming up, we have some real bangers in the Tales from the Crypt catalog, episodes that you definitely are not going to want to miss. So come back very soon. Or you know what? Re-listen to your favorite episode of Horrors from the Vault. You got a little bit of a catalog now. Go, Go enjoy them. We worked hard on these. Takes us a lot of time. Please go listen to them. Um, 
Petrified Preston, thanks for being here, my friend. As always, hit him with all of that social media goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, as you said, man, yeah, I hope this wasn't a downer for folks, and I hope you enjoyed it. Um, hey, we had fun, I can tell you that much, and good things are coming ahead. So you just you just hang out with us here at Horrors from the Vault. Of course, you can hang out with me over at Preston967 on Letterboxd. That's where I spend most of my time these days, logging them holiday pics. Um, at Preston967 as well on Twitter. You can find me under Preston Green on Facebook. Hey man, we're all over the place. A devilish Dan, what about you? Listen, I'm sorry that I didn't goof him up enough this week. I'm going to try real hard to goof him up even harder next week. <laughs> Some of these are much harder than others. And, and, and I apologize and I'll do my best. If you do want to see me goof him up, you can follow me uh, at Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, at Red Right Dan, or even better, even better. You know what to do? Follow Horror Vault Pod, all those same places. Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky. It's great. Follow us on Blue Sky. More people need to use that. It's a decent looking platform and and, and people seem to insist that Twitter's going down, but it's not going down because no one's going to Blue Sky. So go over there. If you need codes, hit me up uh, at Red Right Dan or Horror Vault Pod. I got codes for you. Let me know. Uh, But yeah, Letterboxd, Daniel P. Sims. Other than that, I'll see you there and I'll see you next week with a much more funny episode. Thank you. And if you want to keep up with my bullshit, which is about Jimmy Stewart and Creed, you can do so <laughs> on Instagram. You can find me at Discount Vincent Price on, like I said, Instagram, uh, Letterbox. That's way more important. Go see the dumb shit that I'm watching. But for now, thank you so much for listening to Horrors from the Vault. We appreciate you like always. And until next time, don't be boring. Don't 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 be this episode. That's that's just weird. Be extraordinary. Be Leia Thompson. If only Cindy. Crypt Keeper, let's get out. It's time to slam the book shut for this episode of Horrors from the Vault. We hope you had a bone chillingly delightful time. And your debrained souls were satisfied to the macabre cause. Beware, kiddies, because the next time you dare to venture into the vault, you might not come back at all. Right.